0: Um, This morning, we're going to uh, wrap up our, our series in the Holy Spirit that we've been looking at for the last three weeks. And I spend so much time on this because of this reason. I believe that today, modern churches in America are filled with programs and opportunities to get plugged in. And many people in God's church today exchanges their relationship with Him relationship in the church to do activities. We get very, very busy in programs. And we forget about our relationship with God. And this is fundamental to your relationship with God. Understanding who the Holy Spirit is. You can't move ahead in your relationship with Jesus until you really understand the role of the Holy Spirit. So we spent the first week in understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how He was given to us. And last week we spent so much time in the fruits of the Spirit so that you could really understand what it would look like to have the Spirit active in your life. And this week we want to look at the gifts of the Spirit. As a whole, I think churches in America are doing a lousy job of discipling Christians, of making them more like Christ. That's why we have the mass departure rates from churches. People walking away because they really don't understand God's Word. And in the tough times, they don't have any core to fall back onto. And the Holy Spirit is part of your core. The gifting of the Spirit naturally flows out of you when you are filled with God's Spirit, when you are walking in sync with Him. Now, we're going to explore Ephesians this morning. And while we're exploring Ephesians, I want to give you a little background that will help you understand more of what the writer Paul was saying by understanding his nature and some of the things that he went through. Let me illustrate it for you this way. I came across a phrase that I want to draw to your attention. Let's bring up the first phrase of that. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. Sounds like perhaps... Words to a nice song. Let's see the second phrase. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining, in love, even when I am alone. It's not the words to a song. If you knew the background behind this phrase, it might have significantly more impact in your life. I came across this in the writings that were found in a closet. In 1945, inside Nazi-occupied Germany by a young girl who was hiding from the Nazis. She was being sheltered. Now read this with a new set of eyes, understanding who wrote it. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining, in love even when I am alone, and in God even when he is silent. A prisoner in a dark closet writes with greater depth, a prisoner who's been locked away. Paul, when he writes the book of Ephesians, is a prisoner, a prisoner of the Lord. He's been locked away in Rome, and he had some freedom at this stage in his life, but he was still under Roman guard. In the same way that this young lady wrote the ache of her heart, Paul was writing to us, to the people at Ephesus, A church that he established in the little town called Ephesus. The ache of his heart. This is the book of Ephesians. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I think if you have the black Bible that's in the pew in front of you, you'll find it like around 100 and page 52. It'll also be up on the screen. By the way, if uh, this is your first time here at New Hope and you don't know, the black Bibles or the brown Bibles that are there in the pew racks in front of you are there for your taking. If you'd like to take them with you today, if you don't have a Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're going to read 13 verses. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, "...being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift." Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And now Paul gives us his own commentary of what has just been written from the book of Psalms in verse 9. He says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended, it's a tongue twister, far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. and we wrap it up from verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. When? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is an extraordinarily high bar. You keep doing this until you reach the measure of Jesus. That means you don't ever get to stop. This is really, really packed tight of theology. Paul is doing more than just a simple play on words. When he quotes from Psalms, he led captive captives. That's where that comes from, from Psalm 68. And I want to have you look at that with me this morning to understand what Paul is telling us about the gifts of the Spirit. So as we look at Psalm 68, if you want to turn all the way back there, it's also going to be up on the screen. Read this along with me. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in His holiness. You have ascended on high You have led captive your captives. There's that quote again. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there for the purpose. You've received the gifts that God may dwell among you. So when Paul is quoting this, he's taking his readers all the way back to an understanding of who God is. When he's talking about spiritual gifts, he wants you first to understand who is God. So he takes them to Psalm 68. What's going on here is not a misquote, by the way. When you read it in Psalms, it says you have received gifts. And in Ephesians, we just read he gave gifts. And what Paul is doing is he's playing on an ancient tradition from the Syriacs and from the Aramaic versions in which they said, you have distributed gifts. Here's the reason why. When God is seen as a victorious warrior, when he conquered Egypt, and he led the people through the wilderness wanderings, and he gave them the land of Canaan, he was seen as the victorious king. And so this is a praise of exaltation saying that those chariots, God, in Psalm 68, that are coming alongside you, those are the myriads of thousands upon thousands who are surrounding you because of your victory. This is a completion statement for them. Here's how you link this together. Look on the screen with me at Psalm 47. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us the glory of Jacob, whom he loves. Listen to this word picture. Follow this meaning. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Here's what's going on. Under a monarchy, when a king was in power and he led his people out into battle, into a victorious battle, when he returned to his conquering country, to his own city where his throne was established, they would make a parade through the main street of the city. It happened in Babylon. It happened in Rome. It happened in Egypt. So what the writers are saying is, God, you are victorious. You have ascended to heaven. You have returned to your throne. So when they're quoting in Psalm 68, what they're saying is, you have distributed gifts. Now for the younger people in here that are familiar with the movies like Star Wars or Gladiator or perhaps maybe older people in here that have gone to those movies, at the end of those movies where it's triumphant, at the end of Star Wars especially, You see the theme of the queen being reestablished, the princess. And when she's on her throne, she distributes gifts to the people who were part of the battle, those whom she favored. They're taking that right from Scripture. They understand that a monarch, when he returns to his throne, he has the ability to distribute gifts to those whom he loves. That's what you see Paul saying. Jesus is has completed his war, his war against evil. He is the victorious king, and he has ascended back up to his throne, and now he has led captive his captives, those whom he conquered, and he has been restored to his throne, and in response to his restoration, he gives gifts, spiritual gifts, rewards. Why? So that God may dwell among you, to remind you that he is with you, to build up the body, to strengthen us. Look with me at Colossians 2.15. It'll pop up on the screen. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The writers continue to make an illustration that Jesus was the victor. This is the picture of a Roman ruler leading victory through the city of Rome at the end of a battle. Look again at 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. We use that word triumph very freely today in our English language. But triumph was literally, let's bring that up on the screen, the word triumph. There we go. It means to conquer. It was a procession. So when you see a a movie perhaps about like Gladiator and you see a Roman procession going through the streets of town, that was called the triumph procession. Jesus is the victor. Now after his ascension, he returned to the throne, he is the victorious king, and what he does in response, he's giving gifts back to his people. He's giving gifts of reward. Not the reward like we'll find in eternity, but gifts as he would distribute them to his people, to his beloved. All right? Now, we're going to go back to Ephesians again. If you want to take a minute and turn back there. Up till this point, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 in Ephesians, Paul has been talking about the church as a whole. Now, in chapter 4, he's talking about you specifically. He's writing about you and your relationship to God. So go to chapter 4 of Ephesians and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure, measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Within the body of Christ, each member, those who follow Christ, who are Christ followers, true believers, God gives gifts. And this is not talking about charisma gifts. We use the word charisma. This is talking about charis without the ma. There's no charismatic involved here. This is an equipping grace. That's what he's referring to. You have been equipped. So he uses the word grace, charis, meaning you have been equipped by God. This is the spiritual formation that we all need to seek. And I want to help illustrate that for you by looking at the life of Paul. I'm going to have you um, just read along with me on the screen so that you can see the development of spiritual formation in your life which is consummated in spiritual gifts being used in the body. Read some of these verses along with me on the screen as we look at how Paul was formed for God's service. In the area of Paul's spiritual gifts, And of this gospel, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. We see three spiritual gifts right there immediately. Paul was a preacher. He was an apostle, the apostolic gift of shaping churches and forming churches, and that he was a teacher. We also look at Paul's heart. Read this one. My constant ambition has been to preach the gospel where the name of Christ was previously unknown and to avoid building on another man's foundation. Constant ambition. My heartache is to build the church of God. And then another one. However, I consider myself my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now look with me at Paul's personality. The reason I'm doing this with you is you remember that when we spoke a few weeks ago about God weaving a common thread through your life which is pointing to the track trajectory you should be on, when you look at how God shaped and formed, he gave you experiences, he gave you his heart, look with me now at Paul's personality, how that played into what he did. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. You look at a personality of someone who's extremely zealous, would you consider Paul to be an introvert or an extrovert? Absolutely an extrovert. He was extremely diligent about what he was doing when he was trying to destroy the church. He took that same energy and poured it into building the church when God redeemed him. Look with me at Paul's abilities. This is a very practical. This is from Acts 18. Paul went to see them and stayed and worked with them because he earned his living by making tents, just as they did. He debated in the synagogues every Sabbath, trying to convince both Jews and Gentiles. So we see in there that he had very specific abilities to make tents and to earn a living, but he was also a debater. You may not have known that about Paul, but he was extraordinarily intelligent. He had the ability to take on the minds of his time. He was sharp and very quick-witted. Those were some of his abilities. Now look with me at Paul's spiritual experiences. Just stay with me and you'll see where we're going on this. His spiritual experiences, watching Stephen be stoned. That forever impacted Paul's life. The conversion on the Damascus Road. Three years maturing in Arabia. This is not the Arabia you might think of. This was east of Samaria the eastern countries in Asia, and that he received a special vision from God. These are things that helped shape and form him. You could take some of these same categories and plug in your own experiences, your own abilities, your own personality, your own heart, and they would consummate together when you use one more piece of the puzzle, your painful experiences. Look with me at Paul's painful experiences. I have been in prison more times, near death often, been whipped five times with 39 lashes by the Jews and three times by the Romans, once stoned. I have been in three shipwrecks and once spent 24 hours in the water. In my travels, I have been in danger from floods, robbers, enemies, wild animals, and false friends. I have served long hours without sleep or food or shelter or even clothing. One more painful experience for him. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these great revelations, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Some people believe that Paul's back was broken when he was whipped. Others believe that he was blind. Others believe that he was hard of hearing. Nobody really knows. But God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And one last thing that you might not think to loop into Your spiritual gifting. This would be your educational experiences. Look at Paul's from Acts 22. I received my training at the feet of Gamaliel, and I was schooled in the strictest observance of our Father's law. Studying under Gamaliel would be like today, if you wanted to be in law, going to Harvard or Yale. You would excel beyond your contemporaries. How does all this fit into your spiritual gifts? God uses all of these things we've just reviewed plus your spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. It helps to form who you are so that you can serve each other within the body. So here, before we get into the the, uh, spiritual gifts list, and there's one inside your bulletin. Hopefully you got that this morning. We're going to go over that in just a minute. I want you to remember ten truths. Go ahead and pull out this item that was inside your bulletin this morning because we're going to use that as a checklist Here's ten truths, though, that are not on that list that I want you to remember that are going to come up on the screen. Only believers have spiritual gifts. Every Christian has at least one gift. You all have something. No one receives all of the gifts. Number four, no single gift is given to everyone. Number five, you can't earn a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit decides what gift you get. Number seven, the gifts I'm given are permanent. Number eight, I am to develop the gifts God gives me. Number nine, it is a sin to waste the gifts that God gives you. And ten, using my gifts glorifies God and grows me. Now, I believe that when we launched this church, that God drew those here who are part of New Hope with a specific purpose in mind of using the gifts that he has placed within you to build up his body. Not necessarily to grow in numbers, but to edify, to strengthen, to walk alongside each other. God gives gifts for the purpose of strengthening and edifying and bringing glory to himself. So as you look at this list with me together, what I would like you to do is pull out a pen or pencil. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you see one of these gifts as being reflective of your personality, you need to circle that arrow. This is not a test, but this is for you to use as you think about the ways God might use you within the body. Some of you may have taken spiritual gift tests before. Chances are, I would wager 90% of the people in a room in a church have never taken a spiritual gifts assessment test. Most people don't bother to do it. So what you're doing is unique. It's an opportunity for you to see, what did God place in me that I'm supposed to be using for the kingdom? That's very significant. Let's look at the list together. Starting at the very top, gifts that communicate God's word. These are gifts that are given to use both to reach unbelievers and believers. You may have never thought of yourself, for instance, as the first one, as a preacher, a person who could preach. You might be surprised if God placed that within you. Let's look at the characteristics. The ability to publicly communicate God's word in an inspired way that convinces unbeliever and both challenges and comforts believers. The ability to persuasively declare God's will. If you believe that's you, go ahead and circle that. Evangelism, the ability to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to unbelievers in a positive, non-threatening way, even when you have a Buddhist in your office. Right, Michael? A non-threatening way in which you establish a relationship with him. The ability to sense opportunities to share Christ and lead people to respond with faith. Evangelism is a gift Many people think, I am not very evangelistic. They say that about themselves. It may be that you weren't wired to be evangelistic like Billy Graham. We are all expected to share the Word of God. But you may not have the gift of evangelism. I went to a Billy Graham crusade and sat all the way up in the top rack of the seats in this auditorium. And there's 70,000, 80,000 people there. And I'm watching, and he gives this invitation for people to come forward, and I'm thinking, oh, Billy, this is going to be the one time when people didn't respond to you because it just was such a simple, plain delivery of a message. And I'm watching, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands respond. I've never seen a Billy Graham crusade when thousands didn't go forward. He has the gift of evangelism. And that's a remarkable thing to watch. Missions. This might be you. The ability to adapt to a different culture in order to reach unbelievers and help believers from that culture. Today I have friends who are living in western China, living among a people whose language group they are studying, trying to understand. God gifted them with a call to missions. It was a passion, and they didn't mind adapting to a new people group. Apostleship. Now, this is an apostolic gift. Don't confuse it with the 12 apostles or with Paul. An apostolic gift is the one who would like to be involved in church planting, okay? Establishing churches. The ability to start new churches and oversee their development. You all might fit into that group since you're here at a brand new church gifts that educate God's people teaching the ability to educate God's people by clearly explaining and applying the Bible in a way that causes them to learn the ability to equip and train other believers for ministry encouragement the ability to motivate God's people to apply and act on biblical principles especially when they are discouraged or wavering in their faith the ability to bring out the best in others and challenge them to develop their potential um, I'll tell you my three, top three spiritual gifts right now. We're coming into them. Wisdom and discernment and previous one, teaching. Those are the three that I rate in. Those are where God wired me for. Wisdom might apply to you. The ability to understand God's perspective on life situations and share those insights in a simple, understandable way. Discernment. Is this you? This is a unique one. The, well, they're all unique. The ability to distinguish right from wrong, truth from error, and to give an immediate evaluation based on God's Word. The ability to discern whether the source of an experience is Satan, self, or God's Spirit. The next one is the gift of knowledge. The ability to discover, collect, analyze, and organize information that is vital to the individual believer or the entire church family. The ability to comprehend a large amount of information and provide it when needed for effective decision-making. If that's you, perhaps men, that might be a great gift that would prepare you for being an elder or a deacon. Decision-making. Gifts that demonstrate God's love. Service. The ability to recognize unmet needs in the church family and take the initiative to provide practical assistance quickly, cheerfully, and without need for recognition. We already mentioned Bill Opland this morning. Bill came to me and said, could I lead the Operation Christmas Child program? I didn't have to hunt him down and ask him to do it. It's a gift of service. Mercy, the ability to detect hurt and empathize with those who are, on, who are suffering in the church family. The ability to provide compassionate and cheerful support to those express, expressing, experiencing distress, crisis, or pain. You may find this to be very Uh, much like a classroom setting right now. This is much more didactic than it is sermonic, but this is critical information. You need to apply it to your life. You need to help evaluate where your children fit into this if they're followers in Christ. Hospitality, the ability to make others, especially strangers, feel warmly welcomed, accepted, and comfortable in the church family. The ability to coordinate factors that promote fellowship pastoring. Now you might think that every pastor has the gift of pastoring. I have met pastors who don't have the gift of pastoring. You're looking at one of them. A pastoring gift is a pastoral gift. Uh, There's people who would disagree with me on that. It may not be one of my higher gifts. Those are people who are gifted with the ability to come around someone and shepherd them and guide them I consider myself far more of a teacher than I do a pastor. But we attach that title to people who are doing what I'm doing up here, calling them pastor. But the gift of pastoring can belong to you without standing up here and teaching and preaching. You might have a pastor's heart, a pastoral nature to you. Look at the definition of it. The ability to care for the spiritual needs of a group of believers and equip them for ministry. The ability to nurture a small group in spiritual growth and assume responsibility for their welfare. That would be a person who would be willing to teach a class. Fits in very well. The gift of giving. And if you think this is not a gift, you would be wrong. There are those who are just burdened and they cannot explain it to give abundantly out of their heart. It is a gift. The ability to generously contribute material resources and or money Beyond the tithe, so that the body may grow and be strengthened. The ability to earn and manage money so it may be given to support the ministry of others. I have a friend who established a business way back in the 1970s, actually 1960s. He started it out with $67. He grew it into a multi-billion dollar empire. He died having given away nearly everything that he owned. He told me when I sat in his office one day, my intent is to die a pauper. So he set up a trust account so he would just have enough to survive on, but he kept giving away and giving away, and his bookkeepers are going, well, you're giving away too much. He just had a burden to do that. He wanted to give what God had blessed him with. Now, the last uh, two that we're going to go into before we just talk briefly about the prayer-related gifts. Gifts that celebrate God's presence. Music. The ability to celebrate God's presence through music, either vocal or instrumental, and to lead the church family in worship. You may not have thought of this one before. Arts and crafts. The ability to build, maintain, or beautify the place of worship for God's glory. The ability to express worship through a variety of art forms. The reason I gave you this printout today is so you could take it home And read the scripture that's attached to each of those. And understand the context in which it was written. To see if it really applies to your life. And at some point, I would love for you just to have a conversation with me. In which you come up and say, you know what? I think I really do fit the gift of a pastor's heart. Or I really think I fit the gift of wisdom. There's a place for you to fit in within the church body. God didn't give you that gift by accident. Jesus was victorious. He ascended to his throne. And in response, he sent the Holy Spirit back out to us. And through the Holy Spirit, wired you for service within his body, within the church. You have been given gifts from your victorious warrior king. Does that make sense to you? You understand that? Now, I want to look at the last four gifts that we have listed, and there's 20 if you didn't count them. And they're prayer-related gifts. The gift of intercession, the ability to pray for the needs of others in the church family over extended periods of time. Healing, the ability to pray in faith specifically for people who need physical, emotional, or spiritual healing. Miracles, the ability to pray in faith specifically for God's supernatural intervention into an impossible situation. And the last one is the one that's most contentious. And it's written about the most in the New Testament. Yet it's caused church divisions and factions for centuries. And it's called praying with the Spirit. You might have heard it calling praying with tongues. And this is the definition for it. The ability to pray in a language understood only by God or one who is given the gift of interpretation at that time. That is most difficult because of the fact that It was given as a gift for an individual. It was never given as a gift in which the whole body would receive something from it unless there was an interpreter present. And there are churches that use it today as a measuring rod of whether or not you're spiritually mature. Whether or not the gift of tongues still exists today. I was taught in college that it ceased with the first century church. And it's the most awkward thing because we hear of it still surfacing around the world in churches. And I would not be one to grieve the Spirit by saying, God, there's a gift that you took off your list. Because I frankly do not know. But I would say in the midst of a church setting like this, Paul gave us reasons to believe under his authority of writing as an apostle of God that it was the least of the gifts And it caused the most confusion in the church. And so he wrote an entire chapter about the gift of tongues. He dedicated all of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians to the gift of tongues about how it was messing things up in the church. Now here's four reasons I want to give you why it won't take place in the service here in the church. All right? Four reasons. It is for personal edification, not for the whole church, according to... 1 Corinthians 14.4 He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who preaches edifies the church. Number two, we are to focus on building up others, not ourselves. This is also from 1 Corinthians 14. Unless you speak intelligible words, you will just be speaking into the air. Try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Number three, this one's very important. It confuses unbelievers in the service. 1 Corinthians 14. If some unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? And number four. Ideally, it is not meant to be used in the worship service. In the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. 1 Corinthians 14. Don't confuse, we're going to leave that one alone for now and come back to it another time for much more subject matter. I want you to not confuse gifts of the Spirit with fruits of the Spirit. Okay? Gifts of the Spirit show your ministry, where you're to be involved. Fruits of the Spirit, what we talked about last week, it demonstrates your maturity, who you are in God, and it naturally flows out of you. Beware, the number two, be aware of the gift projection tendency. Well, I've got this gift. Why don't you have this? My wife has the gift very much of organization. She can see her way right through things that I can't. And I, I always feel guilty not being able to be as gifted in that area as she is, the gift of administration. We have a potential tendency To expect others to have, my wife doesn't expect that of me, she knows better. But we have a potential to project our gift upon others. Well, I can understand and discern the Word of God, why can't you? That's why God gave us each other, so we can help each other where we're deficient in certain gifts. Number three, don't feel my gift makes me superior to others. The gift of service is equal with the gift of preaching. The gift of hospitality is equal with the gift of pastoring. They're all on the same plane. There's not one that's better than the other. And finally, number four, realize that using my gifts without love is worthless. Let me read scripture to you from 1 Corinthians 13. I may be able to speak the languages of men and even of, of angels. I may have the gift of inspired preaching. I may have all knowledge and all the faith to move mountains. But if I have not love, I am nothing. It does no good. Two final reminders for you. This probably felt more like a classroom, hasn't it, today? Two final reminders for you. The purpose of spiritual gifts. It's not for my benefit, but for others. Each one of you from 1 Peter, each one of you as a good manager of God's different gifts must use for the good of others the spiritual gift he has received from God. And finally, to produce mature stability in our church family. Ephesians 4.11, and this is a great way to wrap up. It was he who gave gifts to men, Jesus, to build up the body of Christ. So we shall all come together to that oneness in our faith and become mature. That we, Then we shall no longer be children carried by the waves and blown about by every shifting wind. That's a paraphrase from the Living Bible. If This is summed up this way for this purpose. If we don't understand these things, Paul was saying as much in his generation as in our generation today, there is a tendency to fall away from the things of God if we are not rooted in these truths and in these teachings. That's why we spend the time in investigating and understanding what we did over the last three weeks. I'll look forward to the day when I can have a conversation with you about where you fit and where your spiritual gifts are at. Would you stand with me this morning as we dismiss in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for the gifts that you have placed in your body. It's already here. The software has been installed and we are fully loaded and ready to go. But some of us are sitting on our gifts, Father, and so I ask that you would not only reveal to individuals who are here where they fit, what their gifting is, what they are wired to do because you gave it to them. You won the right to give it. You are victorious. And you wired us to serve you and to serve your body. So God, I ask that you would reveal first of all to us what our specific gifts are, that you take the blinders away. And then God, make us bold enough and willing enough to use it for the edification of your body so that we can be a church presented unto you that is fully mature. God, we desire that so much. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving.